Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Spirit of Prophecy podcast. Hope you enjoyed this week of programs. Today, I'm going to do something a little different, and I plan on doing several of these. I'm not going to do them all at once, but uh, throughout the weeks we cover these programs, I do want to take some time to look at some Bible prophecy and Bible doctrine and use, uh, look at symbolism, types, allegories, and all that kind of stuff. Now, uh, pre-tribbers love using that stuff, that mainly because that's pretty much all they have, and they'll use typologies and all those kind of things. And I'm not against that. I think for sure we have examples of that in the Bible. In fact, we have some that the Bible clearly tells us this is what this is. This is an allegory. You know, this is a figure. We have examples like that. But typically those aren't the things that pre-tribbers want to go to. They just kind of go and make up stuff. And so the thing is about types and all that. While it is a legitimate thing that is for sure in the Bible, these things do not uh, trump clear scripture. Clear scripture is where we should get our doctrine. The typologies and stuff like that, that can kind of just be icing on the cake. So if you hear a preacher using that, he it's not wrong to do that. It's okay to do that as long as your, your types and figures and all these things do not contradict clear doctrine. Never use them as proof over somebody's clear verse that they have. And I don't want to do that, but these things are still there. And so the truth is, I believe the more accurate your doctrine is, the more likely you are to find these things. Because there's not going to be any legitimate types in the Bible that point to something that contradicts clear doctrine. So if your doctrine's good, you should find more of that stuff. So uh, we're going to uh, try to do several of these over the next uh, weeks at random, but uh, we're going to look at one in particular tonight that I think, or this afternoon, that I think is very interesting. And so we're going to start off, though, by going to a parable. We're going to go to the parable of the ten virgins. And I think it's important, before we go back and look at this type in the Old Testament, And I'm just going to tell you what it represents. It is a major picture of replacement theology. So I just lost some of you there with that. But uh, at the same time, just stay with me, all right? Let's go to a very misunderstood parable, and that is the parable of the ten virgins. Now, we don't have time to go into all the context of what we're about to see here in this parable, but just understand that the Olivet Discourse parables, first off, before the Olivet Discourse, we have Jesus giving several parables to the Jews, showing how they're going to lose the kingdom. We have, And then we have the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus prophesies of the destruction of the temple. And then when we get into chapter uh, 25, we have uh, some parables about his coming. Now, I believe, and without going into all the details, I, I preached some sermons last year about the Olivet Discourse parables, but I do believe these things had a first century interpretation. I believe when we look at these, the interpretation is a first century one. I believe there is application we can make about the second coming and that we can make about us today, but that's only application. The interpretation was about Israel in the first century. You must understand that. So 
application is fine, but interpretation is first century. And so uh, let's go through this parable real quickly, because in order to understand this type back in the Old Testament, it helps if you understand this parable. In Matthew 25, 1, it says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And the uh, and I believe that uh, it's very clear in the Bible. I'm not even going to go into all the scriptures, but obviously Jesus is the bridegroom, and he is looking for a virgin bride. And we see in John 3, 28, it says, Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. And he that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. And John the Baptist, it was his job to introduce the bridegroom to Israel. Uh, but of course, they rejected him, and Matthew, they were not ready for him. Matthew 9, 14, uh, then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast off, but thy disciples fast not? And he said to them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then shall they fast. So, of course, Jesus is a bridegroom, and he was. He was looking for a bride, but Israel was not ready. Israel was not ready. You know why? Because they tried preparing themselves through the things of the law. And you know what? Their righteousness were as filthy rags in God's sight. So what do you think you're better as the church? Well, not because of our performance of the law, not because of anything that the temple has done for us. The temple's gone. We will be pure. We will be clean. We will be that virgin bride because we have been washed in the blood of Christ, because we have a better high priest, Jesus Christ. And in Ephesians 5.25, it says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And so understand, one of these days when we are united with Christ, we will be holy thanks to the work of Jesus Christ, thanks to the temple of his body, not an Old Testament temple. We cannot be chaste virgins by our keeping of the law. And so when Christ came at his first coming, Israel was not ready. Okay, And, and so why weren't they ready? Well, for one, they didn't have any oil in their lamps. But what does that mean? What does that mean they didn't have any oil in their lamps? And we'll, we'll get to that. That's very important that you understand what that means. But remember, when Jesus Christ came at his coming, at his triumphal entry, at the day of visitation, what happened when he beheld the city in Luke 19.41? When he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known even thou at least in this thy day the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes, for the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. So Christ's coming uh, that we see in Luke 19 there, that was, that was his coming. That was what was prophesied in Malachi chapter 3. And in, that was what was prophesied in Ezekiel in Zechariah, in many places, that was his coming, but Israel 
was not ready. They were filthy. They were vile. They had not done any of the things that they had been told to do to prepare for the Messiah from the instructions given by Ezekiel and by Zechariah. They didn't do any of those things. They did not do what Isaiah had said to do, where it was said, my house should be a house of prayer for all nations. But there weren't all nations there at Christ's coming. There was only Jews, and they were not acceptable. They had not done any of the things they were supposed to do. And so as a result of that, the kingdom was taken from them and given to another nation. And so we see that these uh, these virgins, they did not have any oil in their lamps. Okay? And what does that oil represent? And people will often tell you, well, it represents the Holy Spirit. And you know what? That's true. That's true. But when they say that they, uh, you know, it represents the Holy Spirit, they say that meaning they were just simply saved, you know, or they, or they, or they you know, they, because they didn't have the uh, oil, that just means they weren't saved. But understand, it used the term oil for a reason, because oil had a purpose. The purpose of the oil was to put in their lamps so they could keep a light lit. That was, a, that's the point of oil to keep the light burning. That's, that's, that's the purpose of oil. And they didn't have any oil on their lamps, but Israel was supposed to be being a light to the world, which they were not. And Jesus said in Matthew five fourteen, year, the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. But at Christ's coming, Israel had not accomplished any of the work they were supposed to. As a result of this failure, the kingdom was taken from them and given to another nation. So that right there, uh, I believe, is ultimately what this parable is about. So when we go back to this parable in Matthew chapter 25, and it says, Then should the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise, five were foolish. You say, well, who are the five wise ones? I don't think that's relevant I, or really matter. What matters is we have these ones who didn't have oil in their lamps, which was the case of Israel. Remember, this is a parable. Okay? This is a story. It says, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. And while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, there was a cry made, behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us of your oil for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered saying, not so, lest there not be enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know ye not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. So ultimately what that's about is showing how they weren't ready. They didn't have oil in their lamps. And it is very important. They have oil in your lamps. Not just that you're, because again, we want to be saved, but we're to be a light. The light is very important. And so I believe this parable is, again, just showing why Israel lost the kingdom. They were not ready for Christ at his coming. And 
uh, the kingdom was in, end up being given to another nation, and we have been doing the work of being a light to the world, getting the gospel to all nations uh, under the new and better covenant, where we do not have a continuing city, we don't have a Jerusalem uh, that we all go to. We don't. We uh, we have a heavenly Jerusalem. We don't have a temple. We have the temple of Christ's body, and our body is the temple of God. And so a lot has changed under the new covenant. And so there are there's principles that we can take from Matthew 25, and we can apply them to us today. But ultimately, this was about something in the first century, and this was about Israel losing the kingdom because they were not ready. They had not done what they were supposed to do. So now what I want to do, I want to show you a type of something in the Bible because keeping this, having oil in your lamp is really important, and we're going to go back to 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3, and let's look and see what it says. Says, and the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place, and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. So, what do we have? The, that lamp, that candlestick, as the Bible calls it, or today people refer to it as the menorah, it went out. That, that lampstand or that candlestick was always to be lit inside that tabernacle. That was one of the jobs of the priest to keep the lamp lit. And you know what? Eli let that light go out. And you know what immediately happened the night that light went out? When he failed to do his job as a high priest, we see God ends up calling Samuel. And I'm sure you're familiar with that story, but let's jump down and look at what it says in verse 10. It says, and the Lord said unto Samuel, or, and the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel, then Samuel answered, speak for thy servant heareth. And the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I will do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. And that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house, when I begin, I will also make an end, for I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. You know what God said? I am done with you, Eli. I am done with your house because he had failed in his role as a priest. And understand, you know, letting the lamp go out wasn't the only thing he did wrong. You know, his sons were, I mean, sons of Belial. They were very wicked men that were uh, just causing people to hate the sacrifices of God and to despise those things. They were causing God's people to be disobedient. And so God said, I'm, I'm getting rid of you, Eli. But interestingly enough, when Eli let the lamp go out, that's when God decided that he was going to replace him. Now, that didn't happen immediately. In fact, it wasn't until the time of Solomon where this happens. Because we all remember the story where uh, Hophni and Phinehas die, and Eli finds out about it, and finds out the Ark of God is gone. He falls off backwards, breaks his neck, and he dies. But the priesthood still remained in his family, and it wasn't until the time of Solomon 
that they finally got rid of him. And it says in 1 Kings 2.27, So Solomon thrust out Abiathar from being priest unto the Lord, that he might fulfill the word of the Lord, which he spake concerning the house of Eli in Shiloh. And so right there we see God replace the house of Eli, which means lofty, which makes me think of somebody proud and arrogant. makes me think of like a Pharisee praying, Lord, I thank thee that I'm not like this publican. You know, I do all these fasts and I give and I do all these wonderful works. God replaces Eli lofty with Zadok, which means just. And uh, remember that publican who said, have mercy on me, a sinner? He went out justified. And I believe that what we're seeing here, that, uh, that replacing of Eli and his house with Zadok, I think, it's a, I think it's a great picture of replacement theology. Because Eli failed to keep the light lit because he didn't have oil in the lamp, he was removed from the priesthood and he was replaced with someone else. And Israel, they failed to have oil in their lamps. They failed to be a light to the world. They failed to perform what God had given them. And so as a result of it, God took the kingdom from them and he gave it to another nation. And just like Eli and his house was cursed forever. It's not going back. God is not going to go back to using a physical people again, an ethnic people again, a a temple. God is not going to go back to those things. No matter how much Jews cry at the wailing wall, God is never going back to that system. God has replaced it. It failed. They were not able to do the things that uh, God told them to do. And so God removed that from them and he gave it to someone else. And so I think that is a great picture. Again, that doesn't prove anything. That doesn't prove replacement theology, but it is kind of icing on the cake when you stop and think about it. And there's a lot of stuff like that in the Bible that we can look at. Uh, And and so it's pre-tribbers are the ones that are dependent on these things, but understand they don't own it. We've actually got more than they do. We've got clear stuff. We have allegories that fit our doctrine where Paul said, this is an allegory. This isn't just us pulling something from a story that we want to, which, you know, this one's not specifically stated as that. But when you look at the similarities, it's hard to get around it. But I do think it's a good example. And so just a short program today, just uh, talking about types, symbolism, all those things, and I plan on doing more of these in the future, just a little more ammo that you can use towards those uh, whenever they go running to symbolism because they don't have a clear verse to defend their doctrine. So appreciate watching this. I hope it was a help. God bless.